You're listening to the Harmonica Brothers Variety Show. Welcome. I'm Kayam. Matt. I'm Sam. Big thing to this week, I guess, is we just want to give our thoughts on episodes five and six of WandaVision. I liked it. Uh, episode Back half episode six was awesome, but the rest of episode six was a little... You know, there are plenty of Easter eggs, and, you know, I think as a comic book fan, you can enjoy the Easter eggs, but... I don't know. It was a little... Episode 5 was just stellar, especially with the ending and, like, the whole process of Vision figuring out that this is all an illusion, but he also doesn't remember his life before Westview. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Episodes 5 and 6 um, were both great. Uh, I love the ending of Episode 5 with the reveal of Evan Peters as Quicksilver, um, who uh, I'm realizing I like a lot more in the role. Uh, than than um, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who played him in, in Age of Ultron. Uh, although I'm a little I'm a little different from Sam. I thought I actually like six more than five uh, because we got to see more Quicksilver. Um, I like the whole '90s sitcom vibe of it. It was it was just a really good episode, and especially the end with the expanding bubble and uh, you know you, you're actually seeing people turn into residents of. Of, of, of Wanda's version of Westview, like as the bubble expands, which I thought was great. Um, just, yeah, really good episodes. And, you know, even though I, I wasn't sold on the, you know, when I saw the very first episode, man, I'm sold now. I'm loving this show. Can't wait to see the next episode. Absolutely. Uh, episode five, it was, it's, and, and the thing is, it's not even the necessarily the big reveals and the Easter eggs. Sometimes it's like the subtle little details they add in, like um, the, the credits scrolling in the middle of an argument between Wanda and Vision. I just thought that was such a sweet little touch to the, to the uh, dimensions of the show. I love how Quicksilver is, is um, seems like Wanda's, voice of reason or or doubt and uh she's trying to like you know he's he's really pushing at the fourth wall he's really pushing at wanda and i appreciate there is a character doing that and i'm glad i'm glad monica rambo is getting her gonna get her push as photon that's yeah. very exciting so the one thing i'm thinking like she's gonna get her powers this way right mm -hmm. but that doesn't make her a mutant, right? Because mutants are born with their powers. It makes her a mutant. Yeah. Um, less like Spider-Man or the Hulk. Um, so I think just the, the the ramifications of that some people will get powers uh, because of the blooming of the thing, and maybe she's bringing people from other universes, which will be revealed in later episodes, so we won't get into it. Uh, I'm really excited well, for it as well. It might be revealed in later episodes. We don't really know. It might be revealed in later episodes. Going. Yeah. Like I, I just think it's, I think it's cool how they've been laying this out because WandaVision was going to be the fourth Phase Four property we get after Black Widow. After, uh, I think Falcon Winter Soldier was going to come first, um, and then I can't remember the other one. But basically, like the fact that we're getting this first is sort of, I think, maybe setting up a lot of stuff. And I think that they're going to keep using Disney Plus as their way of setting up their movies, even though obviously with like that big investor thing, they told us what all their movies are going to be. Um, they're going to like layer it in and make it really like unctuous. You could almost yeah. like, you don't have to watch the Disney plus shows, but if you no. do, and you, if you do and you watch the films in theaters, hopefully we're in we have theaters again, 
uh, in a couple of, in a couple of months um, after we was vaccinated. Uh, amen. But like, amen. <laughs> Bismillah. Uh, if, if you, <laughs> even if you, uh, uh, you don't watch them, you're going to be able to understand like Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. But you're going to have a hell of a lot more context, and maybe even a lot of like, ooh, I know this, and my friends who watch didn't watch WandaVision don't know this. This little thing that they're referencing in Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, which is probably going to get started because of WandaVision. And obviously probably going to pick up steam with with Spider-Man 3, assuming that all the rumors about these uh, alternate versions of characters appearing are, are true. Well, I will say one thing, though. Um, this show keeps getting me hyped up for more Marvel. They are... It's like leaving that trail of Reese peanut butter cups or Reese's pieces uh, for James Woods and like, ooh, piece of candy, ooh, piece of candy. And Marvel is really pulling off this, this sort of slow lure into a bigger thing. Uh, and they're able to do it during a pandemic. So kudos mm -hmm. to them. Yeah. Like in the fact that they've, um, I was watching these, uh, uh, these YouTubers, uh, what is it called? Heroes Reforged, Hector Navarro, a couple of his buddies. I love Hector Navarro uh, ever since the Nerdist days and Geek and Sundry days. Um, but they made a really good point. Like, is with the WandaVision's coming out now, and when it was going to come out, or if the pandemic hadn't happened, a lot of this, like, sort of the traumatic moment of people, of losing people, isn't really fresh and isn't people wouldn't get it and whereas then it would be a little maybe escapist almost like there's this apocalyptic mm -hmm. event and yes they all come back but that's still traumatic to see all these people you mourned for five years return i think now obviously in the pandemic we we has like i haven't lost anyone due to COVID. thank god i don't know about you guys um but we i think the world has wider context for that kind of trauma and i think that's mm -hmm. why wandavision's resonating so well especially when they bring in monica rambo as she was someone who got snapped and then she's someone or she's got someone who got blipped and then she got snapped like that we haven't figured out the jargon for what's a blip and what's a snap but i uh, i like the one division has a, a lot more resonance and i only think that's because i don't think that's just because of the pandemic but i do think that it's definitely playing a role i would like to say the first the disappearance is called the snap and Tony Stark did the snap back. No, uh, Hulk did the snap back. Tony Stark did the uh, uh, eradication of Thanos and his forces. Yeah, Tony Stark doesn't really play. Tony Stark snapped. Oh, that's all right. Snap. That's right. right. Hulk did the snap back. You're right. I, yeah. Okay, but I'm calling it the snap and the snap back. So if you think about the definition of the word, maybe that's why they use that in Spider-Man Far From Home, which I have my whole other, I have a complaint about Tom Holland that I'm going to get to, which I, which was pointed out Don't to me. You and dare. I, Don't you dare. Don't you dare. It is adorable. No, you're going to, you're going to understand. Adorable. You're going to, you're going to understand and you're going to watch the movie again and you're going to believe me. So, but, but I do got to ask you guys one question. When was the last time you were this excited about a television show? Mandalorian. Like, so, so two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, fine. When was the last time you were this excited about a non-Disney Plus show? Jerk. Um. Young. Oh, I know. Young. Uh, the, the Young Just. The the third season of Young Justice, like eighteen months ago. <laughs> that's okay, that's me. a legit answer. No, but uh, what I was gonna say was they call it the blip in Spider-Man: Far From Home, and a blip is always a space. 
So the snap could have just been the snap back, the snap and the snap back, as Kime says. But then the, the the period of time, the five years where people weren't around, is the blip, right? Because uh, people they haven't really gone into like they weren't perceptive of it. Like they went into a little bit when Tom Holland, Spider Man, and Peter Parker was talking to uh, Tony about it. Um, but I think like the context for that was, or the, not the context, the the feeling, the sensation of being snapped away was like I got all dusty and then I woke up and you were gone. Right, because Tony, Tony, and Nebula were the only ones who didn't get snapped who were yeah. on Titan, the, uh, yeah. the moon, my favorite moon of Jupiter. What I, but my complaint about Tom Holland, which was pointed out to me, was in Avengers Endgame. If you see him, he's crying over Tony, and then he backs away because Pepper like coaxes him away. And then if you look, keep looking at Tom Holland over Pepper's shoulder, he's no longer crying. Oh, okay, that's not a Tom Holland. Oh, thing. You're on camera. Probably- that's an editing uh, there is thing. No, that's an editing no consistency cut. thing. I watched it. I watched it. There is no editing. I watched it on super slow mo. There is no no cuts. Well, that there just ruins the cut, dude. That's not how movies are made. If he's not, if if there was a cut in the new cut, the second take, why is he not still crying? Director probably didn't pay attention to that, or the editors. I see. I'm not blaming Holland for that. Here's being split. I'm just saying. Um, no. Uh, hey, Andrew there was Barker a Starbucks was... cup on on uh, in front of Jon Snow. Was that Jon Snow's fault, or was that the the director slash editor's fault? It was actually it was that, but that was cut out a year later, or not a year later, like a couple weeks later. Like whatever. Avengers we'll Endgame see some tears in. <laughs> yeah, Avengers Endgame is still on Disney Plus and it still isn't in the fix, but whatever. That's besides the point. Um, the other thing I want to bring up. Because we, our first episode we released was our fifth episode we recorded. This the sixth episode. I don't know when this is going to come out, but in the first episode we released, we talked about anime. And I hope it I, to me, uh, an anime just being called anime doesn't give it a lot of accessibility. So I watched. I started watching Vinland Saga on Amazon Prime here in Canada. Uh, you know, I've been watching Vikings. The final season's been coming out. There's like three episodes left in the final season. It's so good, such a good show. Um, but in the recommends, it, there was a bunch of, you know, shitty B-movie Viking crap starring, like, former wrestlers. No offense to former wrestlers, you know, but, like, you're, the movies they make more often than not are terrible. They just bring too much energy to them. Uh, but uh, with the exception of, like, a couple actors, wrestlers. Anyway. Uh, we know who you're talking Vinland about. Saga, yes. Vinland Saga is awesome. And I heard someone say it's shown in anime. I still don't know what that means when something is shown in. Maybe Khan can explain it. But it, it's good. And the history is accurate to a to an extent. The swords are too big, um, but it's a good fucking show, and it's it's keeping me like watching it. You know, people didn't use knives like that or daggers like that, and daggers didn't have two two edges. But you know, uh, other than that, it's super super accurate. You know, like so many people forget that like Norse people, there were Norse Christians, and you know that that uh, it was just it's just entertaining. It's so good. How long is it? Uh, How many? Yeah. The fir- only the first season is out, and I want to say there's like 20... I'm not finished it yet. There's like 23 to 26 episodes in the first season. 26 is common for a first season of anime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time even hearing about this. Uh, Vinland Saga. I got to look this up. Yeah, it's about... It's basically... It follows a kid. I can't remember his name. Because on Amazon, they don't have okay. dubs. There's no dubs. So for the first time, I'm watching it with subtitles. Um, and anime with subtitles, but I'm watching it and I'm enjoying it. And uh, uh, it's basically about like some kid who wants to join Leif Erikson, who is the first European to ever visit North America, 
who visit who and founded and he fa he fa he found a place in the Northwest Territories, um, but uh, Vinland is obviously like modern day Newfoundland, um, or in that region of the Maritimes, and it's sort of about like there's this war happening, and then probably eventually it's going to take it to uh, back to Vinland, and that's why it's called Vinland Saga because the whole story, the arc around it, is all around uh, the main character. Quick note, uh, Sam here, during the editing process, uh, I was wrong. That is not why it's called Vinland, Vinland Saga. It's just called Vinland Saga because I think guess that's a cool name. Uh, anyway, back to the show. Who starts as a kid, and they're keeping him young. He's not, like, aging up super fast, which I'm really enjoying, uh, which, which is one of my big gripes with anime. He's, like, a 14-year-old, and he's, like, super good at what he does, and I'm like, he's 14. Like when I was 14, I had a growth spurt and I didn't know my own limbs because then I was so clumsy as a result, right? Like the 14 year olds, a 14 year old boy, especially like 14 year old boys are not graceful. They're not like super confident in their abilities. None of that shit, right? Um, nope. That's what, that, I have a whole other problem with Ash Ketchum because <laughs> he's like, what, 10? Uh, <laughs> and it's just, it's a good show. And I'm watching it. Yes, it's anime, but once again, I won't. I'll say again, like the, it's not just anime. I argue it's a historical drama or a historical like, a well, fictional historical accounting of events, as it is, you know, via Wessex violation of Dane law or something like that. Like that's history, and uh, it's anime a second. So just to go back to your uh, yeah. point about, about shonen, um, shonen anime are, are are generally like they've got a lot of action. They're targeted to like um, you know teenage boys, young men, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of times, and I think we said this on the anime episode, or at least Kai said it on the anime episode. A lot of times they are kind of never ending, and they go on forever, like Naruto, uh, One Piece, Dragon Ball. Uh, but there are shows like Vin Vinland Saga, which I haven't watched yet, but I have heard, uh, which which I guess follow fall more into those um, like blocks of seasons where maybe they're more interested in following along with. I assume it's based on a manga, but I don't know for sure. But it um, is. yeah, so maybe they're more interested in following along with the manga, taking a break and coming back when they've got more material instead of just you know making sure you know coming up with filler so that they they've got something to show every week. Um, it sounds interesting. Um, I've, I've thought about checking it out, but I don't know. I get caught up with a new season of attack on Titan and, and things like that, but you know, I'll, I'll, I might have a look at it if you, if you recommend it. I think that the, that what we missed in our anime, um, chat was that there are subcategories of anime for everybody. And what we completely forgot was that historical manga and anime is actually a thing. And that's probably how I'm going to experience Les Mis for the first time uh, through anime. You're going to watch I'm um, like, I'm, It's called like yeah, um, Le Petit Cosette or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to watch the anime version of it because, um, you know, a 10-hour docudrama on Annie is just not my jam. Uh, oh, no, but historical. The, musical? the musical is awesome. I, I, I listen to the music... Um, I, I've got that like, you know, always ready to go on Spotify because I love uh, the music from that show. I mean, I love Broadway music. Is that music the one with the, 
Vigo Mortensen one or the Hugo? Uh, what is it? What's his name? Hugh Jackman one. Yes, that was a, the movie version. He's a great singer. I'd watch it. Uh, the movie version is 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 okay. Um, it was a little unique compared to some of the other musicals that Hollywood has done because I, I believe they actually sang live. Um, you know, oh. as they were being filmed instead of doing like ADR and stuff like that. Um, but. I would say watch the movie, but if you really want to hear some really good performances, because especially Hugh, Hugh Jackman is a good singer, but I, I feel like the role of Jean Valjean was a bit too much for him. I don't think he filled the shoes. Um, he, he did well, but but if you watch, um, if, if you listen to uh, like a Broadway cast recording, um, that's that that that's better. Yeah, because some of the notes that they have to hit are, I think, were a bit out of Hugh Jackman's reach, but still. So with, I'm going to defer to your expertise. <laughs> I had no idea Matt was is so into for real. Things. I am. Yeah. Yes. But I, I only because I read the book, but long before I saw, and the only thing I've seen of Les Mis is the uh, the. Musical with Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe and Anne Hathaway and Amanda Seyfried and Eddie Redmayne um, was uh, I enjoy it. Like I think, like will you take that compared to like a musical? What's a recent musical Hugh Jackman's done as The Greatest Showman? Whereas that it's very positive, it's very showy and loud. Whereas and I think he's more comfortable in that and like his Jean Valjean. I don't know. I didn't feel the depression. I didn't feel the fact that medieval France fucking sucked, right? Or let revolutionary France sucked. I don't, I didn't get that. And I got that more from uh, Russell Crowe's Javert. I felt like the, the failure of not catching like the guy. Um, I felt I got more uh, weight from the villain, I guess, or I the anti-villain, I should say. Certainly their performances, I think were, uh, a lot more emotive than what you might see on the stage. I mean, it had to be because I mean, you've got a camera right in their face filming them. Um, and actually I think, I think Russell Crowe did, he, he wasn't flat, but all of the notes he hit as Javert were like an octave lower than I yeah, think he's not a guy on stage. Um, but yeah, anyways, we're getting, we're getting kind of off, off, off topic. Um, you well, were what topic? We're just, we're just chatting. Oh, by the yeah. way, off, off anime, I, uh, you were saying, Kai, that you were going to experience it for the first time as an anime. Uh, no, I just, uh, like, I mean, by all means, I think that nerd culture can really be about anything. Like, I, I, I would be talking all about musicals if I had, I had gotten a chance to see Lord of the Rings, the musical. Um, I would be, or if they're, you know, if they've actually ended up producing the... Um, the uh, mythical and rumored uh, Matrix musical. Um, there was, there was they, a rumor of a Matrix musical. What? What? So you you know how you know how they can project? Uh, like basically, the sets were uh, going to be more like the Mandalorian screens like because you know how they have digital screens for the mandalorians instead of green screens right, so like yeah. imagine a digital screen imagine uh, a projector projecting the um the code onto all uh, onto characters or certain parts of the of the stage so they were it, it was a it was a there was cool visual ideas about that hmm. so with a with a property like the matrix i'd be interested because obviously lame is 
Victor Hugo has been dead for a long ass or was it Alexander Dumas? I should know that. But Victor Hugo. The author is Victor Hugo. Yeah, Victor Hugo. Um, but with the Matrix, the Wachowskis are still alive. Are, yeah. Were they involved? I have no idea. This may have been a fan thing, like uh, the Fight Club musical that got shut down. Um, but, you know, it, it. I think it fell apart before it ever launched because the same way the Spider-Man thing did, because, like, they would just get stuck and the actors would just be swinging, you know, because they wanted to do, like, the high flying karate stuff as well on stage but yeah. hooking up the actors to those those wires and it, it was never a good idea so once yeah. people saw how spider-man went i would have i would have paid real money to watch spider-man just hanging and watching that show like just fall apart midway that would have been great people people literally died kind of god oh, did they really oh yeah didn't like a guy die during the performance or something like as he fell. I didn't hear about that. I heard he, somebody broke their leg. Jeez. Oh. I did not know somebody died. Oh, damn. <laughs> but blood on Marvel so, fans. So what's my, so here's my question. Why is there? So the I'm guessing the lame is anime. Isn't going to be a musical, but it's not. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated. Like, cause that's a really smart way of giving yourself of a genre, giving itself really mainstream appeal. Or mm -hmm. appeal in a different, especially if they, even if they're recording it, if there's like if it's in Japanese and obviously it will be, it's an anime, it's made in Japan. Like that's how you get like a big audience in France. Like French, like French, the French love Victor Hugo. They love Les Mis. Uh, I think the the anime came out a while ago. Um, yeah, and I, I would imagine it's. I mean, even the musical uh, differs from from the book or even the the, the dramas that you've yeah. seen based on it. I would imagine the anime probably goes off in its own direction as well. Um, I've always wanted to watch it. The problem is it doesn't seem to be on any streaming services. I'm a part of the uh, Livewire Pirates pirate crew. Oh, Jesus. Uh, instead of I watch One Piece, so we all have our pirate crews. I'm part of the Livewire Pirate Crews. There's the Kazaa Pirates, still old mofo. I've watched. <laughs> I will not say I watched One Piece. I've watched one episode and I hated it. Like I, I, my, my, my hatred was visceral. Like I watched the first episode just because I completely understand if you, if you enjoy something like that, I don't get it, but I, or no, I don't understand it, but I accept it. I should say, because he ate a mysterious fruit and that made him rubbery. Okay, yep. fine. Rubber. Because anime. Break, rubber doesn't break swords, but his hat isn't made of him. So why does the sword break when it hits his hat? Like because it's anime. Just there. Again, there's a, but here's the thing. Like in our <laughs> and we we talked about this. We'll, we'll probably post it next. Our you know continuity, continuity in storytelling, right? Under okay, it's anime, but there is a and and I understand also a healthy suspension of disbelief when you watch anything, you know, not just isolated to like science fiction or superheroes or whatever, but like that took me out of the anime. I had too many. If I have that many questions that I don't think are going to get ever answered because I know because anime, I'm not going to keep watching. Maybe that's just because I'm a I'm too cynical. I mean, I I'm like I I think I've I've made it clear that I uh, don't like it when when things don't make sense from a from a continuity standpoint or uh, sometimes even from a logic standpoint in in shows and movies. So I can't really disagree with that. It's just um, I mean I don't watch One Piece as well. So okay, yeah. 
Uh, One Piece is one of those stories that you're, it's all about character arcs more than it ever will be about internal consistencies. So if you care more about the internal logic of a universe, you will never enjoy One Piece um, because it's all about uh, just getting the characters from point whatever to point whatever, to well, getting them to be the king of the pirates or whatever. That's that's, that's it. That, 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 that's a good point. And, and for me, I think that's what it comes down to. It's internal logical consistency. So if the rules of the universe are that you eat something or you find something and it turns you rubbery and it turns your hat rubbery or, or whatever, as long as everybody else who's exposed to that also turns rubbery and their hat turns rubbery, I'm good. Even though logically it doesn't really make any sense if that's the, the, the um, if that's how things work in that universe, as long as that applies equally to everybody in the universe, then I'm good. Hmm. Uh, speaking of logical consistency, uh, we'll be back with our discussion of fan expectations of Star Wars. Yeah, and I think logical consistency is definitely going to come up in that. First in a series. It'll come up, it'll come up for me in terms of my yeah. expectations. Yeah, so uh, we'll be back. Okay, so our topic of discussion for this week's episode is just fan expectations generally. This is going to be the first in a series. We're going to talk about uh, Star Wars right now. Uh, then we're going to talk about, later on the line, we'll talk about Star Trek. And then we'll talk about um, comic books generally, Marvel, DC. You know, uh, the laws of the universes are pretty similar. Um, so I'd argue they don't need a separate week each. Um, the original yeah, plan, so, oh, sorry, I was going to say the original plan was that we were going to talk about just fan expectations, just in general, uh, and yeah. examples from, you know, all sorts of different um, series and genres. But then we realized yeah, that would take forever. We could talk yeah. about that for probably five hours. So that's why we're sticking with just Star Wars for now. This is going to this is gonna, this topic's going to let us, I think, also get into like some fan toxicity stuff that Kai wanted to look into. Um mm-hmm. Uh, that we could just look at and address because with Star Wars, especially, it's the worst in Star Wars. Out of any fandom I've been in, it is the worst. It's toxic. Like, there are some toxic ass people in the Star Wars fandom. And I think a lot of it comes from the subversion of expectations. So I think that's good that we're talking about this now. Yeah. I'd like to uh, start off by discussing uh, movie, basically the creative lineages. So and when it comes to Star Wars, the the seed of it all was, I mean, the history of it all, its roots come from cowboy movies, comes from samurai movies, things like that. But when we go into it, really the seed of it is George Lucas. And he's where it starts sprouting out from. Of course, you get, you know, you water it with some some Joseph Campbell. You, you put some uh, sunlight from... I don't know, um, whatever influences he had um, and so on and so forth. And you grow it. Oh, with the visuals. I forgot the guy's name. Um, the guy who did the original designs and stuff. But, you know, you use the sunlight. That's Ralph the McCurry. one. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and yeah, those two influence, those two definitely influenced him. And we grew this plant that had different branches. That is the Star Wars franchise. Now, some of those bore great fruit, others not so much. But what ends up happening is that eventually the fans become the creators. 
and are creating this orchard, orchid, not orchid, the fans, as they grow up and become influenced by this and they're out there creating, eventually come back to it and get to do their take on this beloved thing. And so uh, that is something I think we absolutely have to keep in mind that the people who are creating it are fans and not people who utterly hate this just for and, and want to do these projects just to piss people off. I think that's absurd uh, accusation. But yeah, I just wanted so, to put that out there. So when you say fans, I'm assuming you're referring to people who are now making Star Wars because the original trilogy and the sequels, or the prequels, I should say, were all made by George Lucas, with George Lucas's guidance. Yes. Um, he had no hand in the sequels at all. He had He didn't have any, I think he was like on, like he's on like, uh, on call for solo and and uh rogue one i'm not sure of that i don't know but i know he was on call for clone wars i know he he and dave filoni grew quite close over that one and with rebels as well so well he oversaw like because most of clone wars was done when george lucas still owned the franchise um six it six i think was maybe completed before he sold it or as he was selling it and and seven of course was done you know, long after he sold it, but it's based on ideas, I think, that, that were still discussed while he owned it. So Clone Wars is still kind of largely his his thing, but everything else after, yeah. Uh, well, well, I also just wanted to say, uh, tag, tag on to Matt's point, that um, we won't be discussing the copious amounts of novelizations and stories that were also branched out that basically now don't exist in canon most of them unfortunately but there has there's a lot more star wars universe that was not uh that did not come from george lucas than people really realize so yeah like i think that we could look talk about a, a little bit of legends because for what a 15 year period between the conclusion of return of the jedi and the announcement of the phantom menace Right or when it came out, so sixteen years, I guess, right? Because Return Jedi came out in eighty three. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, for sixteen years, all people got of Star Wars was the Legends books, right? And then those remained canon until like twenty twelve. So there was a third, almost thirty year period where we ha where every book that came out, the how many, what hundreds of stories, tens of books, how many authors. Uh, those were no longer canon. And so the expectations, I think, really got subverted. When you hear when you hear the announcement of the sequels, okay, the actors are a little old. Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, when they announced the sequel trilogy and the Force Awakens trailer came out. Still a phenomenal trailer that still gets me hyped for Star Wars, right? Even though like we all have certain criticisms and critiques for the sequels. Uh, if, if I had been a fan of Legends, as Matt was, Matt and I have had this conversation ad nauseum outside of the podcast, the expectation was they do Thrawn, right? And if they don't do Thrawn, they do something different where the enemy isn't just the Empire again. And the First Order was just, you know, a worse version of the Empire. So uh, I think the, ex the fan expectations were subverted, and that's why a lot of the toxicity, I think, was always present in Star Wars. It really just came out with event came out swinging i should say um when uh you know when the sequels came out and people sort of who were always in the fandom became less mainstream and but they stayed as loud i i mean 
I, I would say that really the disappointment or fans' disappointment dates back to the prequel trilogy. Um, it, it's, it, it may have become more toxic. Uh, it may have been uh, become more, um, you know, those people may have become more vocal. I mean, uh, I mean, there, there was no Twitter or Facebook or anything like that in 99 when, when The Phantom Menace came out. So, um, you know, they might not have, people might not have been able to express themselves as, as, as openly. Um, but people were upset with the prequels. I mean, I, I saw The Phantom Menace. I mean, I was, I was still fairly young when The Phantom Menace came out. Um, it came out in 99. I had, I was first introduced to Star Wars in, I mean, I knew of Star Wars, but, um, I, I first saw the original trilogy when it was re-released in theaters in 1997, uh, as the special edition. And so there were two years between that and, and when the Phantom Menace came out. And I already had my ideas of how I think the, how I thought the Republic fell and how Anakin Skywalker came to be Darth Vader. And, and I think I would, I would imagine a lot of people did. Um, they'd been thinking about it for even longer since the original trilogy was first released in theaters. So everybody already had their expectations for the prequel trilogy. And I don't think anybody thought that, that, that we were first gonna be introduced to Anakin Skywalker as a 10 year old boy. So I think that's the first in instance of fan expectations not necessarily being met. And I'm, I know nobody had any you know, would, have, would have thought about something like the midichlorians or, or that kind of explanation for the force. Um, I think it was, it's a slightly different situation because George Lucas is still responsible for that. So while fan expectations may have been uh, subverted, um, it was still, you know, the, the story was still being told by its creator. And, and I would argue ultimately in the end, um, those three movies still add to the universe and still make sense within the larger narrative, something that I think we'll get to the sequel trilogy doesn't necessarily do. Um, but, but yeah, I would say the, the issue goes back to the prequel trilogy. Uh, I, I am as a lot of, as every Star Wars fan is aware, OT fans of Star Wars, OG fans of Star Wars, do have by the by they have problems with the fan with the, the prequels and the phantom menace is has a lot of those vested a lot of that vested anger um there's a meme growing around like early last year which was like a hundred percent of the good quality nine one percent of the prequels is in phantom and clones and 99 percent of it is in revenge and you know like seeing that like it is the better movie out of the three of them but I came to the I came to Star Wars as a prequel fan. The prequels were the first thing people my age saw. You know, people born like in the early to mid '90s, right? And maybe if I had parents who were nerds, I would have been shown something different. But I my parents aren't massive nerds like that, right? My dad's maybe saw the second the, he saw Empire because his friend said it was so good, but he never saw the others, right? Um, when I when I came to Star Wars. Yes, you come away once you enter the fandom. You become aware of the pre of the prequel, like poo pooing, I should say, especially now. But when you Matt is right, when you watch them, though, George Lucas is still the the it is still George Lucas's baby. And mm -hmm. Dave Filoni talks a lot about this, and he makes a phenomenal point in the in the the little docu series they do um, about each episode uh, for the first season of the Mandalorian, or because. Episodes, uh, or sorry, not episodes, I should say, A New Hope to, um, uh, at the beginning of New Hope to the start of Revenge of the Sith, to the end of Revenge of the Sith, is the unbroken line, I think I said this on the podcast before, is the unbroken line of 
um, the rise, fall, and redemption of Anakin Skywalker, not Darth Vader of Anakin Skywalker. And that's why that 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 is an unbroken thing that cannot be messed with, no matter what people put in like put in around it. Oh, this was happening at the same time, so you watch the Clone Wars, or this was happening at the same time, so you watch the original Clone Wars by Jenny Tartofsky. Um or you read legends, certain legends books that take place in in that interim during during those uh, the events of those uh, movies of that I guess um, what fifteen thirty four year period I think it is from the start of Phantom Menace to the end of uh, uh, of Re Return of the Jedi Return um, Return of the Jedi um, so yeah I think you're right Matt because the, the that sort of the expert the subversion is that everyone had so many years to build up what were the clone wars you know was ben a clone of some kind was uh was it war but a war it was a war between clones right clones were fighting on both sides the clone wars right right it's not called the separate the 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 galactic civil war because that's what it was a separatist group working against a republic group the, the republic uh, uh, and I think that subversion maybe is where a lot of the anger was sparked because being a prequel hater in Star Wars fandom, even today, is super mainstream. But I yeah. think the difference with, with the prequels is, I mean, aside from, from what we've discussed, it, yes, it may have subverted expectations. Yes, you know, it probably didn't line up with what most people thought, you know, the Clone Wars were or the fall of Anakin Skywalker was. But it doesn't it doesn't diminish who it doesn't diminish the story that we were already told, which I would argue the sequel trilogy in a couple of ways does. So while it's irritating that it's not exactly the story I wanted to see, it's not that problematic because it's still, you know, it's still part of this, like you said, this unbroken line that tells the story of Anakin Skywalker. Uh, I think it does great justice to the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda and introduces some great characters like Mace Windu. Um, and I think it still even does justice to the story of Anakin Skywalker. Um, so it, it's a slightly different different situation, and that's why I think while it may have started some of that, um, um, you know, some some people's issues with with the Star Wars universe, it, it it also didn't really become as big a thing as maybe it has under the sequel trilogy. Yeah, I, I wanted to just point out that the fandom was so toxic, and the hate what the the I don't even call it hate the vitriol against the prequels was so bad that two of the cast members really did have some severe mental health issues afterwards kid who that. played kid who played anakin um you know literally his life got screwed up bad because of how how much how much star wars fans hated it and the guy who played jar jar binks i think he talked about committing suicide i mean that's how bad the star wars fandom got for those two human beings okay I actually forgot so, about that. yeah yeah and so that mm -hmm. like when i talk when we when we bring this topic up when we're talking about this we're not just talking about like i didn't want to just talk about like the the fan expectations but really see just how deeply this runs for certain people and what the consequences really can be the technology also mm -hmm. changed so the visual expectations uh also adapted uh the, you know so i also grew up um watching the prequels as my first star wars that was my introduction so for me 
I look at the original series and I think, wow, of all the remakes to, to they're, they're doing, this would be a great series to remake right now, recast and, and re-technolize re and, and upgrade the, the effects and everything and the fight scenes. They should totally remake the original series. I would love that. I would love to see that. Um, of course, right now, there are probably fans spewing blood out of their mouths and eyes in, in utter hatred uh, to me, and I'm okay with that. Um, but that that's where I've entered in. So for me, it was it was more, uh, I was always fascinated by the concept that the, the original fans were so blown away by the original just because it was something new and something so dynamic. So I'm wondering if how if that plays into uh, the way the expectations work. So this is actually something I was bringing up to Matt right before we started recording the podcast uh, today. And I was watching this. Uh, the, the Vanity Fair has a YouTube series, uh, which is basically like X super movie star breaks down their most iconic roles. And I was watching Paul Bettany's. So he's talking about Master and Commander, Knight's Tale, Avengers, of course. He does talk about Star Wars, of course. But what he basically ends up talking about is I, Star Wars blew my mind because I watched it when I was six years old because I'm coming out of dreary, uh, black and white, gray, uh, rainy, wet uh, 1970s London. And it's like Technicolor. It's like Dorothy leaving Kansas and coming to never to want to, uh, to uh, uh, what's it called? Oz. The land of Oz. Oz. I like blanked out. It's like, it's not called Wonderland. That's a theme park. In <laughs> that's Alice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or then I think Neverland. Like, no, that's Peter Pan. Um, and I think that pretty much summed up why, why people who watched it then have a lot of toxicity and don't get what they want out of it. Because what is really happening is they want the wonder they got when they were 10 years old or six years old or however old they were when they first saw a new hope specifically. Right. Cause empire was a sequel, but it is arguably the best star. It is still my, in my second favorite star Wars movie. I think it is the best of the original trilogy. Um, Revenge is a, a return of the Jedi is an awesome movie though. Still. Um, but you know, but it, a new hope was for so many people that first foray and really Phantom Menace, they were like in their late twenties or early thirties, maybe they didn't have kids yet. And to pivot the conversation to the sequels, they're probably going into the sequels, maybe with their own kids who they've indoctrinated to think the way they do about the, the, the prequels and the originals that maybe they're, and they're going into the sequels now with their kids and they want something really good. They want something with the level of quality of the original of this, the prequels, I should say, in terms of like the effects and special effects. And, and even with the caveat that, oh, all these, all, everything I read to, you know, inject Star Wars into my body like heroin is even though that's no longer canon, that doesn't mean this won't be good. This, this won't be good. Right. That, that, that's not like like the sequels in general, not not specifically The Force Awakens. So you're coming out of that as someone who was disappointed generally about the certain fates of characters, because I always look at stories as very character-driven. I don't care about the fate of the galaxy as long as my characters, the char my, I say mine because I like them because fans are taking ownership of things nowadays. Uh, the characters that I was sort of rooting for, and for me that's 
Poe and Finn and Ray is the like the main the main like uh, trinity triumvirate, um, the holy trinity of the sequels. You come out of it, it when you come out of the bubble of the sequels of those three movies. I came out really dissatisfied, and that's not anything to do with the fact that you know. And because this is the main criticism, like that it ultimately boils down to that Ray is a Mary Sue. Like Ray trained for more time than Luke did on Dagobah. Ray trained no, on Octo. She didn't. This is this is where my problem comes in. By setting the Last Jedi as a film that takes place over the course of twenty four hours, you really hampered your ability to show realistic character growth. That's where my problem uh, lays. Uh, Luke right. Luke didn't uh, really train that long either, and I have my own problems with that too. But I think setting the last Jedi up as a film that takes place over the course of 24 hours was a mistake. Let it breathe. And then everything just seems more realistic. Okay. So I was wrong. Fair enough. Now, Sam, I, I I'm glad you brought up heroin. Um, and that's might seem like an absurd statement, but I just watched this um, documentary on crack and one, and I also have worked in, in uh, addictions and mental health as well. And one of the things we learn is that once people get high for the first time off of a hard drug, uh, one of the things that they they return to drugs for is to get that first high. And the first high for a lot of people who use super hard drugs like crack, heroin, that sort of thing, they never get that first high again. And so I'm wondering, like the way you were describing it, that they went from this dreary gray and to this technicolor space fantasy world the fact is that they're never going to get that high again uh they're never going to get that sense of wonder again and so is it even possible to satisfy those fans and, and the fact is that their kids are going to love that I, I hate the fact that my little cousins think jar jar binks is hilarious but i have to accept that they're gonna laugh at that because they're like 10 years old that's that's their thing but it is it is possible to get that 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 rush that high back because the last ten minutes of the second season of The Mandalorian proved that it was possible when Luke Skywalker came in and saved everybody by mowing down those dark troopers. It, mm -hmm. but it's very difficult to get that because I think to get it, what you're seeing has to line up with how you envisioned the story to progress. Um, yeah. It didn't work for the mm. prequels for a lot of people because they had had, as I said, six, you know, um, all those years to think about how the story um, un would unfold and it didn't line up with it. Um, but the sequel trilogy presents an even more problematic issue because while the prequels aren't exactly how I imagined they would be, nothing ever said that that's not how they could be. The problem with the sequels is that by bringing back the Empire, by destroying the Republic, by turning Luke into just a shell of his former self, you're kind of saying that everything that and bringing back the Emperor, you're kind of saying that everything that happened in the original trilogy really doesn't matter. And that's almost not only is that not the way people thought it would unfold, it doesn't even make real sense that that is how it would unfold. Like, that is the most intelligent critique of the, the the sequels I have heard ever, Matt. And I thank you for that. So you bring up uh, a good point, which is when we're talking about the you know the things being rendered, uh, being rendered ultimately meaningless. 
I'd argue as much as that, as, as awesome as that final episode of the Mandalorian is this season or season two is, um, and especially the Luke scene sort of what it did for a lot of people. And I think that that scene did a real disservice to the sequels and that ultimately Disney, like I, they didn't fuck themselves, but they did. They, they, that is like an act of self flagellation because what they've done is they've now given all of these, what are what are whiny man childs who are always whining about the sequel sucking, you know, and really aren't like looking into you know maybe look maybe examining and doing a, a valid critique because valid critiques of the sequels do get lost in the mix because they are I, I get the sense that they are few and far between. What you're doing is you're giving the fans like the fans, and I say that with a with heavy air quotes, what they wanted in the in luke being a badass killing the dark troopers whatever after having shown him suppose like 30 years after that or 29 years or 25 years after that after that event he's now fallen off a deep end and he's you know become a shell of his former self as matt just said so that is just a as a side note is a terrible disservice to the sequels by having that scene in it unless you do something down the line that really shows us what really happened to Luke. Cause again, like the, I still don't know how did Luke come to a place where he thought he'd have to kill his, after he redeemed his father, who was so evil, what makes him think he couldn't counsel Ben through that dark time and help him out the other side and have him be okay. Well, you I don't know? think we're ever going to get a satisfactory answer for that for the simple fact that I don't think it's in Luke's character to change as drastically as he did. Now, I could be proven wrong if they really want to explore this, and I think that would be yes. very interesting. Yes, um, I think exploring it would, to my point, exploring that would redeem the sequels. It wouldn't redeem the fact that they fucked John Boyega and they, they ultimately, in my opinion, fucked Ray. You know, because people said she's a Mary Sue. So they, so Disney think, oh, they think she's a Mary Sue. We need to explain where she got her powers. She's Palpatine's grandkid. Like, no, she can just be, Anakin was the chosen one, but he was a fucking slave on Tatooine. Right? Yeah. He's a Mary, he's a Mary Sue. Where did his powers he come is. from? Oh, he's immaculately conceived because he's the, he's the child of the force, right? The force put him into the galaxy. Fine. But, but that makes him, what's the, the what, he's just a hero. Right? There's no male version of a Mary Sue because we don't have... Yeah, isn't it a Marty that... Stew? <laughs> yeah, but we don't have a criticism that goes... Larry Lou? <laughs> we don't have a criticism that goes in the same in the opposite direction with a, with a male protagonist because, Absolutely. because it's sort of expected, right? But I, would, they, I don't even think... I, I don't think a new series going into Luke's sort of development uh, or filling in the gaps between uh, you know, uh, Return Luke and and the last Jedi Luke, I don't think that series will even be satisfactory to some people because in the end, yeah, but... it's still, it's still essentially just canonized fan fiction. You literally just have fans of the series deciding, okay, this is what makes sense between point A and point B. And other yeah. different people are going to have different, um, like they should just do a fan fiction contest and see whoever has the best fan fiction will get theirs turned into a script and and Disney Plus will will create it, and it'll become official canon. But why but, not? I mean, that's what they do. They literally go to director to director, saying, "What's your vision for this? You know, dazzle us and show us how marketable it is, and how many toys we can make out of this." And 
let's I, I don't see the difference between that and going to a fan fiction page and just picking out whatever works. But then by that logic, the sequel trilogy is also fan fiction. We just got some yes. directions we wanted to tell. So then, I mean, then we get into this thing is, is anything that George Lucas didn't put his name on canon? Um, well, <laughs> it makes, honestly, that, like, this is going to be a bit of a, this is a little bit of a tangent, and we should bring it back to Star Wars after I say this, but it brings up what is, can you really be the auteur of a, the, the auteur auteur of a work that is not your own, right? So, yeah. like, is it really Star Trek if Gene Roddenberry is not involved, right? And the tone of Star Trek has definitely changed. There have been so few, but there's been more. There's still a lot more Star Trek with Gene Roddenberry than there isn't. And it's mm. all like, mm. right? Like when you think about, I think like everything up to and including the uh, DS9 well, is Gene. I think right? Roddenberry uh, passed away around season three or four of Next Gen. That's that would be DS9 because it was a backdoor pilot Sam, in like season yeah. two. Don't forget, there's also a plethora of Star Wars, sorry, Star Trek novels. So there's a well, lot so, but, of uh, 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 but this is the big difference. They're even right? less canon because, than Star Wars because they were not made, they were declared everything that isn't a movie was declared no longer canon by Disney. That's the difference, right? So if you were really getting your druthers. From watching the first, the adventures of as as uh, Leia and Leia is doing something political, and Han's trying to balance, which is something we don't see enough. A, a guy trying to balance being a father and maintaining his smuggler connections. We always see in books and TV like, oh, she's a mom. She's a single mom. She works and she she's a mom. How does she do it? Like we get that enough, and the fact that we got it with Han, we like. No, Leia doesn't have to balance it. She passes the kids off to someone she trusts and she does the fucking important work, right? That's something that was awesome to see, especially when Timothy Zahn writes Leia, which is awesome. But uh, when you're coming out of the out of the, out of those books, the Legends books, um, you're really uh, uh, you know getting what you think would happen to the characters because it and some some of them are kind of like if you read some of the like the the ones in the middle like between especially the ones between like the thrawn trilogy and that thrawn duology the end of thrawn books there's some stinkers i'm not gonna lie dark saber eh. <laughs> some of the x-wing books eh. but ultimately like you get gems like i jedi but that's besides the point what i was saying was where is the if we're, we're going to look for that? Where's the line of it's no law? It's no longer Star Wars because George Lucas doesn't didn't make it right. It's no longer Star Trek because Gene Roddenberry didn't make it. So that means everything that was started from Voyager to the present isn't actually Star Trek. Like I so I don't think the fan fiction argument is really going to work with Star Wars because ultimately this is all we're going to get. Because I could go out, I could raise. $500 million, I could cast Sebastian Stan, Alden Ehrenreich, and I don't know who play a young Leia. I don't know. But, oh, and uh, and uh, Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, and I could make the my sequel trilogy, you know? And I, I get, uh, I don't know, I get I get JJ, or I get whoever. Or I get Colin Trevorrow, or Ridley Scott, or a really good, and I, I write a script, I make it, whatever, and then I can't put it out. You know why? Because Disney's going to sue my ass. Right. There's yeah, ultimately really There is ultimate. There is fundamentally nothing stopping a multi-million. So anyone, if they if they have the time and the money for making a Star Wars movie, saying this is canon, and then just taking the legal hits from Disney as they come. 
right? And trying to put up, and then I put out the movie anyway on like, so I just send out a link on my Twitter. Here, watch it here. Yeah. See if you like it. That's called, that's Disney, called bootlegs. <laughs> that's called like bootlegging no, but, your own but series. That, but that is, if, so what is the hallmark? If I can get sued for making money off of it, it's not Star Wars? Well, I guess essentially, as long as you own the IP, you then you then then whatever you make is canon. Yeah, like that's why like I can anyone can make Hamlet, right? Anyone can make an, a Hamlet. Anyone can make uh, uh, any uh, Shakespearean story. Anyone can make uh, can adapt the Odyssey, right? Because there is no IP for it because the creator is dead and they didn't sell the rights to anyone. So then we so when we backtrack, let's backtrack actually to back to Star Wars. Fan expectations when it came to the sequels, I think, were of seeing Luke a la the final episode of The Mandalorian. It was of seeing Luke and Leia and some kids. Because if you, in whatever you make, if you hype up a relationship and then they get married, later down the line in that same canon, they're going to have to have had kids. That's sort of just how things work out. Because apparently in, in fiction, two people can't just be happy living together as and loving each other. They have to have children. Um but that's the size of the point. So you expect them to have kids. Okay, they have Ben. They have Kylo Ren. And then events occurred that led to his downfall. And we're not going to, I'm not going to look at the, we're not going to talk about right now, you know, where was that turn, where Luke turned, whatever. So then it becomes, I am, as a fan, I'm going in wanting a satisfying narrative for these new characters that they've introduced, right? Mm -hmm. And still, they made their pilot because they built up their pilot character as a longtime servant of the Republic and the Rebellion. But then in The Rise of Skywalker, they decided to do what the original trilogy did and made the pilot character a smuggler. They ultimately fucked Finn out of, a, out of resolution, right? Where was Finn at the end of... He hugged Ray and Finn and Ray and Poe um, and uh, uh, Rose, and that was it, right? And we don't even know what happened to Poe. The only person we really got a fate for was, was Ben. Uh, was Ben and Ray, right? Like yeah. Kylo and Ray. Kylo died yeah. on. Uh, I do want to point something out to our listeners that the disdain Matt and Sam show for the sequels, uh, I truly believe that it comes from a love of the material and wanting to see it live up to its true potential. Um, I don't feel I don't feel that from a lot of fans, uh, a lot of fans that I've I, I see on the internet or on any. Not that I pay attention to them, but I, I just wanted to point that out that there there's a difference between expectations of it didn't give me what I want versus expectations of they missed some very basic principles of good storytelling or yeah. logical uh logical character development and, and i want i just want to point out that that nuance thank you um especially now at the end like so i uh, i i do love star wars it is one of the my favorite like things in like nerd culture uh, my ironically i was after i watched force awakens i met matt i was told to read i read uh, the heir to the empire trilogy. I read the Thrawn trilogy, and then you're annoyed that Thrawn's not in it, but it's no longer canon, so you can't really be that. You can't complain that much. 
And then you can, you're you're whining that Thrawn would have been a better villain, blah blah blah. But now I can't, I don't really have a look to stand on anymore because Thrawn is now an inevitability. <laughs> We're getting him in a different context. We're not going to get Luke and Leia and Han fighting him, or we might if they bring in, as I suggested, Alden Ehrenreich, Sebastian Stan, and Don Glover to fight Thrawn because that would be awesome. Why wouldn't they? And also, that's a great way to recast characters, younger versions of these characters. Yeah. Yeah, but I, but, I agree with but, what you said, Kai, once. I think it was you. I don't agree with, like, the like we have one person playing a role and then another person, and then we go back to the first person playing the role. Like, if if, if we didn't have the sequels where the roles are re played by Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and, and Carrie Fisher, then it would be different. But I, I think it would be weird to have different people playing them in between the appearances of these other actors playing them. So, like, when, I, when we bring it back to fan when we bring yeah. it back to fan expectations were fans were fans pissed because it wasn't good on a on the wide or are fans pissed because it wasn't a dude and i think it's the latter because if it was the same and ray ray with an a and he was ray palpatine and a dude i do not think the vitriol would have been the same but when they made it if they made it a guy if you're watching it from the 70s now they're all it's people in their 50s who want to see the next generation of heroes after uh luke leia and han fighting the villain whoever that is and they probably wanted a guy i'm sorry but that's just the way the cookie crumbles they wanted a guy and they didn't like that ray was they didn't like that the the, the hero the hero of the story was a woman I'll, i think that's what it was I'll and i and I think if it was if it was a dude, I think people we like uh, I would still have legitimate criticisms, or I like to think I would. I'm sure Matt would as well. Uh, but I don't think I don't think a lot of the vitriol would have been the same if they hadn't. If Re if Rose Kelly Rose Rose's character was awesome, the best part of yeah. Last Jedi by far. Part of, like by a country mile, Kelly Marie Tran was the best part of Last Jedi for me. Uh, and they completely cut her out of the third one, completely. The fans I'll, were garbage to her. I'll say, um, and and we'll get back to this. This this maybe we'll get back to this part. But Rose, I just wanted to say, um, that yeah, I, I I I'm not too sure if if the vitriol would have been the same or different. I will say that that for me, um, when I have if I have issues about um how powerful a character is, um, it it's nothing to do with their gender. I have pro I have issues. I had issues from the minute I saw it over. Luke Skywalker defeating Darth Vader after a couple of weeks of tra training on Dagobah. Um, I never liked Starkiller in the for in the Force Unleashed because he pulls a Star Destroyer out of the sky and then beats the hell out of Vader and the Emperor at the end. And who is this guy? We never heard of him, and now he's the strongest guy in the universe. Um, so my, my my only problem with characters is just um, I, I just want to see characters developed in a, in a logical way. Um, and, and and like I said, I've got my I, I've got problems with all Dude. of these. In these other, uh, how how do you enjoy anime, man? Uh, <laughs> that's the case. <laughs> ah, ah, me, ah, okay, this goes back to what I was saying. There, there's an internal logical consistency to those. My problem with the characterizations in Star Wars is to be to reach the power level that he, that he attains at the end of Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Anakin Skywalker trains for okay. There's ten years between the Phantom Menace and Revenge of the. And, and Attack of the Clones. There's three years between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. There's 19 years between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. 
he has been a Jedi for a very long time. But now Luke comes along and he is no more powerful than Anakin. Um, but he seems to only need like two weeks on Dagobah. Well, he has three years between A New Hope and Empire, but I don't know what he's doing then because there's nobody around to train him. He basically has two weeks on Dagobah, a year between Empire and Jedi. But again, I don't know what he's doing. Um, well, in the comics, they establish that okay. he was taken by a lightsaber and stormtrooper. That's four years. <laughs> now this guy. Put my glasses. Now this guy. <laughs> okay. That's, okay. That's, I see that. I see that. Um, the, the, the amount of time that it's taking to become powerful in the Force seems to be diminishing. And there's no explanation as to why. Um, so in universe, there's really, we don't understand what it takes to be a Jedi or be strong in the Force or anything. In those anime, they already established that there's, you know, there, there, there's certain conventions in those shows. And okay, if that's what all the characters, it takes all these different characters to be powerful, then fine. But it's maybe more uniform in that universe. There's no uniformity to how any of these characters grow. I'd, in the story. I'd, argue, I'd argue that character development, actually, I anime is all, could be better in this way because is like sort of the better medium for showing the character, showing character growth. Because when you have four hours of content in between boss battles, or eight hours of content or 10 hours of content, however long a season arc between villain fights is in anime, I can, as a, as a filmmaker or as a creator, I can justify, uh, uh, I can justify showing the growth of power in a person over every episode, be it filler or story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as someone who, who, whose nerd, it, nerdiness wasn't really sparked until I started playing D and D a couple of years ago. It's I when the, the hero's journey now is the is an RPG. You start at level one, you can hit a sword 50, you can hit with a sword like 55% of the time. Because you're on the D20 because Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or something in that vein, where you're using the D20 mainly. Uh I can maybe kill a goblin, a goblin in one hit, maybe. You know, but then by level 20, I am literally Aragorn from the end of uh Return of the King. Right. Yeah. Because I think Lord of the Rings is something that is sort of exempt from a lot of these like complaints because it really does show a progression of sort of ability, especially in, in Merry and Pippin. Right. They start from two guys who only care about like eating and smoking and fucking around with fireworks. And then by the end of Two Towers, uh, they're cunning and they're uh, they've made alliances and they're with Treebeard. And then by the end of the third one, they become warriors in their own right. Right. And if you read the appendix in the end of Lord of the Rings, then you would learn that they become like rulers and like leaders of their community and they become the, the tallest hobbits ever and they are buried next to Aragorn, which is extremely sweet. Um, but in but in Lord of the but in Star Wars, they don't actually do that. They don't portray progression except in except with the most satisfying force using character story in Star Wars, Ahsoka Tana. Well, they do show it. They show her progression from Snippy Padawan, that's why she's called Snips, to, uh, 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 you know, her her Zenith at, I guess, the in either the end of Rebels, when you last see her in Rebels, or in um, uh, Mandalorian, which everyone takes place first. Yeah. So, like, you get the hero's journey, and you people have no complaints about Ahsoka Tano because she has that hero's journey. 
Yes, mm-hmm. she's she's still a woman, mm-hmm. but those critiques aren't as loud. So I made so that is a point in your column, Matt, that it isn't really about her gender. Well, I'm yeah. just I, I'm saying that from my perspective. For other yes. people, it could be. I would also argue that even though we don't see it, Anakin has a logical growth as we know that between Phantom Menace and Attack, on, Attack of the Clones, he's training with Obi Wan. He's training with the Jedi. We know he's fighting in a war between. Attack of the Revenge of the Sith. You know, he's hunting down Jedi and learning from the Emperor between three and four. But we don't know what Luke is doing really. There's nobody around to really teach him. Yes, we can establish things with the comics and stuff. But if you look at it just from the movies, we don't really know how a character like Luke or a character like Ray are growing. I do think think that that's why the... the, um, What's we're looking for? That's why I think think that is why the Rise of Skywalker democratized the Force... And essentially made it so there is a finite amount of force, and if there are fewer force users, it is less like they, all of the Sith. Is yeah, that I think that's what they established. Like that's why they said like all of the Sith are in me now when Palpatine was talking, and all of the Jedi are in you now. And if you kill me, all of my power will flow into you, and I will take over your body. I like right? that idea much better than I mean, if you look at the surface, I can see I can see that. It's better than this idea that, like, for some reason, when you kill a Sith, you get all the pre- the spirits of all the previous Sith. Like, no, that was kind of like, I, I appreciate, yeah, yeah. So I think Highlander Force is much better. Yeah. So, like, I think that that's what they were aiming for in the end of Rise of Skywalker. Because whatever your criticisms of Rise of Skywalker, that's an awesome fucking scene where, like, mm-hmm. all the all the, all the Jedi ghosts are talking to her. It establishes that Ahsoka Tano, either Ahsoka Tano is dead or she's just not around. Does that mean Grogu dies? I have so many questions. But Don't say that. it essentially it essentially establishes that there is a finite amount of force and all of it is in her, and that's how she is able to beat him because she has the guidance of Qui-Gon Jinn and Mace Windu and Yoda and Luke and Leia and whoever else. Um I'm really liking this idea. I think they need to explore that more because that makes that makes even Luke's journey make more sense. It makes yeah, so yeah. much more sense. So like that's how Luke was able to defeat Darth Vader because Darth Vader all the all the dark side power was being taken over by Sidious and this is the one I've heard this is what I understood when I came out of Rise of Skywalker that's how I understood it and that's how I self justified her her sort of rapid power game I, I really Matt, did that occur to you I, I, I did occur to me because I was I was too taken aback by just this bizarre turn where all of us like in return of the Jedi Palpatine wants Luke to kill him, but just so he assumingly just so he can give himself to the dark side. And, 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 um, but in all of a sudden rise of Skywalker, it's like, kill me and you can have all the spirits of all the Sith. And I was just like, this is really out of left field. I don't know what to make of this story development. You could argue that they do say that in return of the Jedi, because he says, kill me and you will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. That's what see, that's what Palp, that's what he that's what Sidious says to Luke. Uh, okay, if he says that, then then yeah, then 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 that would kind of tie into that theory. Or he, said something, he said something along those lines at the end of Return. Yeah. Of the anyway, so after all of this uh, sort of exploration, this this chat about expectations, do you think that Star Wars fans are justified in being so vocal that their expectations have not been met? Or do you think it's a case-by-case scenario depending on what the fans are griping about? And do you even think the fans can be uh, ever 100% satisfied? So 
I would argue that fans' expectations will always be subverted. We're never going to get what we want. I'd argue that fan hopes, I can hope for a satisfying conclusion and a satisfying uh, passing of the torch between generations of characters, especially in something like Star Wars that really does emphasize the sort of the generational journey, right? Like Obi-Wan is a contemporary of Luke's father, and he also taught Luke's father. And Yoda is a teacher who himself taught every Force user in Star Wars in some format, with the exception of Darth Sidious and Darth Maul. Um, you know, he was uh, Count Dooku's master, who was Qui-Gon Jinn's master, and what Count and Count Dooku's turn to the dark side was the primary motivating factor was the death of his apprentice. And his apprentice's apprentice's apprentice would be the one to kill him and take his place as Darth Sidious's apprentice, right? So the generational journey and the passing of that and the satisfying conclusion of that is what I, you could hope for as a Star Wars fan. And that hope was subverted. Expectations, I think, will always be subverted. Hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think you can make everybody happy all of the time, but uh, I think Marvel's done a pretty good job of meeting fan expectations. So <laughs> it's not impossible. You just... Um, it's just about having a story that, that continues in a logical way and having a plan. And this is the main problem with the sequel trilogy. There was no plan. They just got, mm. they just said, go make your movies. So obviously this isn't going to yeah. be satisfying because how can you have a satisfying continuation of a story when you don't sit down to think about what, what it is you're going to, how you're going to continue it. Even it's funny you say that because even sequel stands like super powerful, like super fans of the sequels. When they stand for it, it's that is the one thing they can't get around. But there wasn't a yeah. plan. Like mm. the plan was let's make the let's make let's make the Force Awakens, and if people like it, we'll make a sequel, right? Because that's what happened with that early on in the making of films and sequels. I think the first sequel ever was The Godfather Part Two, maybe, or something earlier, probably, but like of the modern like twentieth or late twentieth century filmmaking you know zeitgeist it was for me what i can think of as the godfather part two uh, they made they didn't do that though right they wanted to make something that would have potential for a sequel they didn't want to make a story that was closed mm -hmm. right so they leave the end open but they don't sign jj abrams on to do anything other than make the movie they don't have anyone here to construct the arc of characters over three films uh, even looking, even you could see they, they, if even if you made certain things inevitable, like Palpatine survived, there would have, there could have arguably, no, not arguably, there could, there is a way they could have done this to make it a single flowing piece of art mm -hmm. and not three pieces of art together, pasted together. That if you're far, far, if you're far, far away and you squint at it, it looks like a single flowing piece. Yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, I also, but I mean, based on our discussion, based on the history and the emotional arc that fans have gone through and the highs that they've experienced in the past and the, the disappointments, the subsequent disappointments, I think that the, uh, the mistrust, I don't think that can ever be extinguished by new, uh, new creators 100%. I think there's always, I think that, that sourness, that, that hurt, that's a wound that doesn't, that doesn't heal so easily for, for these fans who carry it around so deeply as part of who they are. 
but I think the other thing was, and this this goes back to a podcast that an episode that is not up yet and and may not be up before we post this episode. But when I talked about giving things a chance, like when I first saw The Last Jedi and um, The Rise of Skywalker, I really uh, did not like them, mainly uh, at least in the case of The Last Jedi because of Luke. But because I, I, I you know, I, you know, I actually started to think about them and, you know, evaluate them maybe on different levels. Like, what did I think of the cinematography? What did I think about some of the other characters instead of just Luke? I was able to, you know, come to a place where it's like, you know what, there's actually some good stuff here. It's never going to be my favorite. I'm always going to have issues with it, but it helps mm-hmm. you kind of like move past that and see that, oh, it's not just, it's not this absolutely terrible thing that ruins Star Wars. It's not great. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it's watchable. But I think the real problem they had with the sequels is that you've already got this whole Legends continuity that people had read and, you know, grown up with and loved. And so people people have people have seen clearly, oh, Luke, Luke progresses in this way. And I really like that. And and so when you change that kind of thing, of course, it's going to, you know, um, you know, bother, bother, bother some people because it's so different from what they had already uh, read uh, when it came yeah. to these years. All right. You've been listening to the Harmonica Brothers Variety Show. I'm Sam. Matt. Kaim, thank you for joining us.